we are in the 11th and the last part of a sermon series on rediscovering joy through the book of Philippians. And as I've been preaching through the series, I've been realizing how easy it is to be joyful and how hard it is to be joyful. It is easy to be joyful on the one hand because Christ has done it all for us. He has paid the price. He has taken the burden of our sin. He's taken the punishment for our sins. And this redemption will one day set our world beautiful all over again. So in that sense, it is easy indeed for us to be joyful all the time. But it's also been hard to be joyful because I keep forgetting. And at some level, I guess me and probably all of us as well, we, we are rejecting these truths and we keep slipping back to our anxious ways. To some level or the other, in our sinful inclinations, we all choose the anxiety of the world over the joy of the Lord. And so as we bring this uh, fairly long run out series to a close, I want to look at this phrase that's repeated over and over again in the book of Philippians. And this phrase is rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Philippians chapter 3 verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Philippians chapter 4 verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Philippians chapter 4 verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. This is the Apostle Paul emphasizing and re-emphasizing the importance of rejoicing in the Lord. As we saw last week, the phrase rejoice in the Lord is given as an invitation. It's given as an assurance. It's given as a command. It's given as an exhortation. And it is even given as an admonishment. Stop worrying. We can be joyful in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Why is this phrase repeated over and over again so many times? I think this phrase is being repeated here to address the core sin condition in every one of our hearts. We all want to rejoice, but so often we don't want to rejoice in the Lord. That's the core sin condition. We do want to rejoice, but we do not so often want to rejoice in the Lord. We want joy. We want joy in our careers. We want joy in our relationships. We want joy in our finances. We want to be joyful in our holidays. We want to be joyful on Mondays. We want to be joyful on Fridays. We want to be joyful at our parties. We want to be joyful with our families. We want to be joyful But so often, not only is Christ not the center of our joy, but so often God is nowhere in the picture. We do shut God out of our joy. That's true, isn't it? And which is why Paul, the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians is reminding us to rejoice in the Lord. 
It is God who created in us the capacity to experience joy. As we saw in one of the earlier sermons in the series, God himself is a joyful being. He is full of joy. He is joy itself. And we are made in God's image. And therefore, we have inherited from this God, from this beautiful God, this capacity to experience joy. And God has not only given us the capacity to experience joy, he has given us so many good things to find joy from. We owe all our joy to God. And yet, rather than enjoy God in his universe, we're all trying to build our own parallel universes where we are trying to shut God out and we are trying to seek joy on our own terms. Again, one more reason why Paul, the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians is exhorting us to rejoice in the Lord. Imagine a child in, in a playground. You know, I was thinking of my own childhood. And I went to this park and there was all of these things I could play with. And there was the seesaw. And, you know, most children uh, would, would sit on the seesaw and have fun. Well, there are a few kind of weird kids like me. My first thought, I remember when I saw the seesaw, was not that how can I sit on it. I was thinking, can I actually stand on it? Right? Now, there are some good kids who, who sit on it and quietly and have fun. But you, you've seen these kids, probably you're one. I definitely was one. My first thought was, can I stand on the seesaw? And, and then there's a slide. Right? You would climb on top the stairs, you would go up the slide, and you will sit on it feet down and then go down the slide and enjoy that. My thought was, can I go head down? Right? And, and, and so it is in life. God has given us some, some norms. Marriage, for example, is, is the gift in which men and women come together in joyful union. And there are some rhythms God has given us as guidelines. And, and like, like children, um, uh, naughty children, we all try and break those rules and want to experience joy on our terms. Which is one more reason why the Apostle Paul is reminding us that we've got to rejoice in the Lord. That's what makes everything balanced, and that's what makes everything meaningful. If God is at the center of our lives and joy, we will experience joy as God designed it. But if God is not at the center of our joy, we will seek joy in twisted and unsustainable ways that violates God's design. So we must rejoice in the Lord. We're all inclined to rejoice apart from the Lord. That's the core sin condition the book of Philippians is calling us to. We all want to rejoice, but so often we rejoice apart from the Lord. And so what I'd like to do this morning is, is to draw out three things the Bible is calling us to see about this whole idea of rejoicing in the Lord. This idea of rejoicing in the Lord is not just unique to the book of Philippians. The, the idea is there all through the Bible. And as we close this 
sermon series on the book of Philippians, I want to just give us an overview of how the Bible is addressing this whole idea and truth of rejoicing in the Lord. So I want to draw quickly draw three things. The first thing I want to draw for us is this. The nature of our rejoicing is a true test and a true measure of our sanctification. The nature, how we find joy, is a true test and a true measure of our sanctification. I want to take us to the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, where this idea of rejoicing in the Lord or rejoicing before the Lord is repeated several times. Let me, if this is your first time in a church kind of a setting or if you've never read the Bible before, let me just give us a quick little bit of context before I dive into this uh, chapter. Uh, Deuteronomy uh, chapter, the book of Deuteronomy is one sermon given by a man named Moses. Moses had just led Israel out of slavery in Egypt, and God had called the nation of Israel to reveal his son, Christ Jesus, through that nation to the rest of the world. And Moses had just led the people out of Egypt, and, and towards the end of his life, he makes one sermon. 34 chapters. If any of you feel my sermons are, are long, <laughs> I'm going to ask you to read Deuteronomy. 34 chapters, one sermon. And it is chapter 12 that I'd like to draw our attention to. It's a very interesting chapter. In this chapter, Moses, passing on God's instructions to people, he tells the people of Israel that they have to come to a certain place chosen by God This was initially the tabernacle, and then it became the temple to bring their offerings and sacrifices. Now, in the the entire book of, in in this chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 12, three times Moses repeats the command to the people that they will come and offer sacrifices and rejoice only in the place that God has chosen, which is first, which was first the tabernacle, and then it was the temple. Let me read. One verse for us, Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 12. And you shall rejoice before the Lord our God, you and your sons and daughters, and so on. It's repeated three times in this chapter, and it's very interesting. It doesn't say you shall offer sacrifices and offerings only at the temple. It also says you are to rejoice in your sacrifices and offerings only at the temple. So the Israelites were called to wherever they were living from far off to bring their sacrifices and they were to hold their rejoicing till they reached the temple or the tabernacle. And when they reached the temple, they had to present their offerings and sacrifices and then rejoice in God's presence. So God is telling his people that they had to come to his presence before rejoicing. They had to rejoice in his presence. This is God reminding them to rejoice in God and not apart from God. How we need, how much we need reminders like this. I wish my phone would start vibrating every time I begin rejoicing apart from the Lord. So often, I shut God completely out of my rejoice. He's nowhere in the picture. I want joy on my own terms. And so, 
the nature of our rejoicing, the kind of joy that our souls crave for is a good test and a good measure of our sanctification. If we are rejoicing more and more in the Lord and less and less apart from the Lord, then we are growing in our sanctification. But if we are rejoicing more and more apart from the Lord and less and less in the Lord, we are not really growing in the image and likeness of Christ Jesus. But why? Why is God insisting that, that we should rejoice only in him? Is God insecure? <laughs> Not at all. Why is God insisting that we should rejoice only in him? Why is this such a big deal? Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers of all time, he had a very simple answer to this question. He said, a bee could well drown in a jar of honey and die. A bee could well drown in a a jar of honey and die. But joy in the Lord never harmed anyone. It only makes us better. And so in all the good things like honey that God has given us, like the bee drowning in the honey and dying, it's possible. Quite likely even, we could drown and lose out on everything if we only focus on the gifts that God has given us and we forget the giver. And so helpful to look at things this way. I've said this before in a different way, but I feel it's worth repeating, uh, it, it, repeating this again. We are free to find small joy in the small things God has given us. And we are free to find medium joy in the medium things God has given us. And we are free to find great joy in the great things, the big things God has given us. But Christ should always be our greatest joy. If any of these small things or medium things or large things become our greatest joy, become more, bring us more joy than Christ himself, we're going to drown in the jar of honey and die. Maybe some of us are drowning in our careers right now. Maybe for some of us, it's, it's money and savings, especially in these insecure times. Maybe some of us are, are drowning in that and dying. So that's the first thing I wanted to draw for us. The nature of our rejoicing is a true test and a true measure of our sanctification. The second idea that the Bible gives us about rejoicing in the Lord is this. If we are indeed rejoicing in the Lord, our gaze will always shift from the situation to Christ. If we are indeed rejoicing in the Lord, our gaze will always shift from the situation to Christ. One of the things we've been looking at in this series again and again is that we as followers of Jesus do not draw joy from circumstances, but rather we bring the joy of Christ into the circumstances. It's not just the book of Philippians that tells us this. This idea is found all through the Bible. I'm going to read us through two verses from the Old Testament. The first is Joel chapter 2, verse 23 to 24. 
Joel is a prophet in the Old Testament. It says, be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for your abundant rain, the early and the latter rain as before. The threshing floors are full, shall be full of grain. The vats shall overflow with wine and oil. Translated in modern day language, rejoice in the Lord, for he has made your SIPs flourish. Your portfolio is doing extremely well. You're getting promotions, you're getting increments. Rejoice in the Lord. That's the first word. What's happening here? What's happening is we're not rejoicing in the SIPs. We're not rejoicing that the vats are full with wine and oil. We are rejoicing in the Lord. What's happening is God's people, in, in, in their, their eyes are moving, shifting from the situation to Christ Jesus. The second verse I wanted to point where, where the same idea is being conveyed, but in a very different context is the verse we looked at this morning for the call to worship, where Ben and Daph so beautifully led us to worship through that. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Though the fig tree shall not blossom, nor fruit be on the wines, the produce of the olive fail and fields yield no food, even though the flock be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. In this scenario, the SIPs have bombed. 30% wiped out. You're not getting any increments. Job is insecure. And our eyes are again shifting from the situation to Christ Jesus. Here's the thing. We can and we ought to rejoice in the Lord in the midst of prosperity and in the midst of adversity. How can we do this? We can do this only as we train in God's grace, train our eyes to shift our gaze away from the situation to Christ. You see, in times of adversity, our gaze naturally shifts to an object that gives us greater security. In times of prosperity, our grace naturally shifts to an object of greater beauty. This is going to happen. Every time you and I are in trouble, our eyes are going to, our hearts are going to long for security. Every time we feel joyful and happy and we're doing well in life, our hearts are going to long for more beauty. Is Christ the ultimate object of our security and our beauty? Is Christ our ultimate security? Is Christ our ultimate beauty? If that is the case, our eyes will naturally shift from the situation to Christ himself. That's the second thing I wanted to draw draw from the Bible on the theme rejoicing in the Lord for us. If we are indeed rejoicing in the Lord, our gaze will always shift from the situation to Christ. The third and and the last big idea I want to draw for us from the Bible about rejoicing in the Lord as we close the sermon series on Philippians is this. If we are indeed rejoicing in the Lord, we will move away from dwelling in our accomplishments to dwelling in a salvation. If we are indeed rejoicing in the Lord, 
we will move away from dwelling in our accomplishments to dwelling in his salvation. There's this really interesting incident that happened that happened in, the book, in, in Luke chapter 10. Uh, a very interesting incident between Jesus and his disciples. Jesus called out 72 of his disciples and he sent them out to, to go and, 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 and you know, heal people and, and preach the good news. And they do that and they're extremely successful. And they're overjoyed with the success in ministry they're experiencing. And they come back to Jesus and they're all very happy. And Jesus looks at all the 72 of them. He celebrates what's been, what's been happening. And he tells them, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that even the evil spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is so relevant in our lives. Rejoice not in your accomplishments, but rejoice in God's salvation. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul means when he says rejoice in the Lord. True rejoicing in the Lord will always move us from dwelling in our accomplishments to dwelling in our salvation. Let's take a minute to to really weigh this in our lives. Which is more important to us right now? Is it Is our accomplishments in life more important to us right now? Or is our salvation in Christ more important? Let's just look at our lives this past, these past six months. How much value, worth, and significance have we placed on our accomplishment? And how much value, worth, and significance have we placed in our salvation? How do these two stack up? How much is our hearts, are our hearts being drawn to our salvation in Christ? And how much are our hearts being drawn to our accomplishments in life? How much time, creative energy, and diligent effort are we investing in our salvation in Christ? And how much joy time, creative energy, and diligent effort are we investing in, our, in the accomplishments we desire. In the generation we live in, in the work culture that we are seeing in 21st century India, it is a straight shootout between our salvation and our accomplishments. Because the world is constantly discipling us to value and treasure our accomplishments more than our salvation in Christ. But God is calling us to value our salvation in Christ more than our accomplishment. In our culture, the bee is indeed drowning in the jar of honey. And make no mistake about this, the battle between our accomplishment and our salvation is the battle for our very soul. I'm really seeing this more and more and more playing out in so many of our lives, including my own. The true battle 
for our spiritual growth, the true battle for our sanctification, the true battle for our souls is happening between the value we place in our accomplishments and the value we place in our salvation. Jesus warned us of this. Matthew chapter 6. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. In verse 26, Jesus says, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? This is nothing less than a battle for our souls. If we're going to cherish and value our accomplishments in life more than our salvation in Christ, it's not going to take us to a helpful place. I want to close with this uh, passage in Philippians. And this passage is the centerpiece of this entire book of Philippians. And as we draw the sermon series of the book of Philippians to a close, I thought it would be beautiful to just go back to this passage, reflect on it as we close. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, Christ humbled himself by becoming, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, lowered himself. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, humbled himself. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, emptied himself. God emptied himself. This is what it cost God to earn your salvation and mine. But the question that I want to close this entire sermon series with is this. What is your salvation worth to you? What is it worth to you? This is what it cost God. What is it worth to you? What is it worth to me? What is it worth to us? How much are we cherishing it? How much are we cherishing this truly expensive gift, this infinitely expensive gift of eternal life that we've received freely through the death, through the humbling, through the breaking, and through the emptying of Christ Jesus? We worship a God who emptied himself. How can we live a life that just builds ourselves up and not give ourselves first to God and then to others? True joy, true joy is to be found only in fixing our eyes upon Jesus by following his way. 
I want to close this series by praying that God will give us this grace. That we would not drown in the jar of honey. We would not drown in any jar of honey. God would give us the grace to enjoy the honey. Yes, it is his gift to us. But with what we would be, we would live with our eyes fixed on Christ and on eternity. Father, we worship you, Lord. We come in repentance. We come in brokenness, crying out, Lord, we are so frail. We are so weak. We are so unfaithful. We are so sinful. Our eyes and our hearts are so distracted. We are so messed up that we value the cheap things and we are indifferent to the infinitely expensive things. We pray, Father, would you change us inside out by your grace, by your Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord. Help us to truly rejoice in the Lord, in the Lord. And Lord, help us to move away from every rejoicing apart from the Lord. And teach us, Lord, and help us to grow in our rejoicing in the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.